series called Let Me Ask You a Question, Conversations with Jesus, and we are so glad that you are with us for that. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's been really cool. I don't know if you're, if you're in small groups uh, and going through this, continue doing that. If not, it's still, we've only gone through one week, so you can join a small group. You just fill out your connection card, and on the back, you just put small group and put the, um, the nights that you're available. I think we have a small group every night of the week. Uh, or small groups available every night of the week, so we can get you into, into that, and uh, you can join us, and the books are in, uh, on sale in the back. And the other thing that I wanted to mention that I, I, I think I failed to mention last week, let, let, let's say you have a group at work, and you just want to lead a small group, then just get books for everybody. And if, and if you can't afford a book, uh, just, you just walk by and just like sneak it uh, and put it in your purse or put it behind your back or whatever. We just want to make sure you get whatever you need. It's not about uh, spending money on the, on the books. But, um, but Jesus asks a lot of questions. If you notice throughout the Bible, he, he, he wants to engage with you. And although he does a lot of teaching and giving answers, he also wants to see how those answers fall on you. Um, yesterday, I was at a, or not, uh, let's see, yesterday, uh, no, on Friday, I went up to my old alma mater at, at, in Santa Barbara to listen to a scholar uh, who wrote this book, um, Let Me Ask You, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, Daniel Kahneman, and uh, his, my head exploded, that's how brilliant he is, if you ever want to read a book, a great book on how we make decisions, um, check that out, it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome, but what he talks about is these two ways in which we think. We think with system one and system two. Now, this is really simplifying the brain, but system one is just your reaction. How if, if a glass breaks over there, every one of you will turn and look at it. That system one thinking is just a natural thing. System two is, is slower. System two analyzes. System two cares about statistics, about information, about verifying. And what his point is, is that oftentimes, um, and system two takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to analyze things. It takes a lot of energy to verify things. And so system two thinking is, is lazy. It doesn't want to put in the effort. And you've probably experienced this yourself when you've made decisions and you're, you're trying to find out all the information and finally you just get to the point where you're like, Bump it, this is where I'm going, and you, and you go. You've, you've handed it off to, to sy system one, okay? You've said, th th this is what we're doing. And, and both take a lot of emotion as well. And so uh, what I want to talk about this morning is one of the questions that Jesus asked a woman who is being set up. And uh, what's interesting is I had just, I've, I preached on this um, last May, and so uh, if you remember uh, this section of scripture, congratulations, um, but uh, I preached on it. So it's, it's going to be a review for some of us if you, if you remember that. But it's one of my favorite stories because it addresses an issue that is really near and dear to my heart. And I'll just be honest, um, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or wherever your belief system is, there's a really good chance I'm going to bother you this morning. Uh, I might offend you or whatever, um, and, uh, but that's just your level, that's just your system one talking. Don't worry. If you really analyzed it, you'd be like, wow, he's a really good uh, guy. But, um, but here's the fact of the matter. 
we're in a shaming society. We live in a shaming society. And uh, uh, shaming um, actually uh, help, makes our brain feel good. Uh, when we shame, when we can come from a perspective where we know we're right, it's a dopamine hit to our brain. And so that's why we love to shame. We love to be right. We love, to, we love gotcha moments. Don't you love gotcha moments? I mean, I, I'm preaching to myself as well. Like, like um, I love videos where the person fails, like they're trying to show off and they fail. Like they're like, look at me, and then they run into something. I love those videos. And I always, and here's, I get two dopamine hits. I get one when the person runs into the pole, and I get another when I look down and see it has 12 million views, right? Then I'm like, oh, good. He, he's had enough shame. Like, that's, that's, that's good enough for him now. 12 million. He knows that 12 million people have said that he failed. Okay, good. I feel great about myself. You ever done that? No? Okay, wow, you guys are amazing. So fail, fail, fail videos. But it, get, it gets worse. And so the question we're going to ask ourselves is this, or not a question, but there's a difference between repairing and restoring your life. There's a difference between repairing and restoring. I had a 66 Mustang. And uh, you, some of you remember that Mustang. And um, the how it was sold to me, uh, the idea of driving a 66 Mustang was the parts are so cheap, you can fix it yourself. That's what my friend Kai said. The parts are cheap, you can fix it yourself. So I'm like, sweet, like a car, like I don't have to take it to the mechanic? No, 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 no. There's a YouTube video for everything. The parts are cheap, you can fix it yourself. So I bought it, and here was the problem I had. The parts were cheap, so I had to fix it myself. And so every time something went wrong with that thing, I was like, well, shoot, I can't take it to the mechanic. He's going to, you know, this part, you know, you go on Rock Auto, this part is, only costs $80, and I can install it myself. And, and, and so it, I always had this guilty thing of, like, I can't take it to the mechanic because I have to fix it myself. Well, that Mustang, I was just repairing it. I wasn't restoring it. It wasn't, I didn't drive it down the street and it's like, oh man, it looks beautiful. It looks like it used to look. It's just, it's a repairing or restoring. Now, now here, here, here's what I want to get to. In our culture, we are more interested in repairing somebody, fixing them, than restoring them. You have a political perspective. You have a perspective on a lot of different things. And the person on the other side of the aisle, on the other side of the fence, with a, a belief system that's different than you, you want them fixed, and Jesus wants them restored. You want, their, you want to change their mind, and Jesus wants a change of heart completely. And this is very important as we talk about kind of system one and system two thinking. Like, Jesus doesn't just make, re, he's not reactive. He's not interested in that. And again, you know, I, I know that it's good to be involved politically. It's good to have opinions. I, don't get me wrong. But when our heart is changed to try to fix someone rather than to see them restored by what Jesus, the transformation that Jesus can do to somebody. 
And so we're not the only ones who do this, but we have examples. Um, so these, these two, Felicity Huffman, who just, just ended up getting out of uh, prison a few days ago, and Lori Laughlin, uh, whose court date is still coming up. If you remember the story, they paid money to get their kids into uh, a prestigious school. And uh, we loved this story. We love this story because they're powerful and they're beautiful. <laughs> so it makes us feel good inside when we see that they get caught. And they should have been caught and the court systems will go, you know, do whatever they do. But we love this. And we'd tweet about it. And we'd read articles about it. And every article we read, we were like, yes, that is wrong. And it felt good. We had dopamine hits all over the country. Oh, man, this is what the rich do, all, all these different things. And, and again, yes, what, what they did was wrong. But do we want them repaired or do we want them restored? Do we, do we want them to just, like, they're going to pay. And once they pay and they've done their debt to society, then we'll feel good about ourselves. Or do we want the Lord to come and meet them in their weakest, most vulnerable time? Here's another one, just in case you want to get into it if you're a republican this was delicious for you <laughs> you loved this story right uh it, it meant it made sense to you because you knew this all along right i mean that just it was just your system one reacted and your system two was uh you know like wouldn't even analyze it it's like oh i could have told you about this but and I would encourage you uh, to go on uh, TED, to hear Monica's TED Talk. It's 22 minutes long about being publicly shamed. It's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. Because we didn't even care about her. We just felt good about knowing it was wrong. And if you're on the other side of the fence, while all this was going on, Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, and he was talking about morals and America and all these great things, and those things are all, all great. And uh, all the while, he was having an affair with Callista, uh, and uh, that ended up coming out. And so, uh, you know, so I told you. <laughs> I told you you're going to be offended. All right. But here's what we're trying to avoid. Confirmation bias. We're going to get to the Bible, by the way. Trust me. Uh, a tendency to search for or interpret information in a way that confirms one's preconceptions, leading to statistical errors. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, John, I have very strong political views, and uh, I just want you to know that um, I do a lot of research, and so I have no confirmation bias. Congratulations. You're the first person on the planet. Uh, we appreciate that. But this is, this is the issue. Now, it's okay when you're talking about your political views. It's okay when you're talking about which, you know, I have a confirmation bias with Tom Brady. I understand that. I, I get it. And that's okay. But when we're talking about human beings, God looks at it from a completely different perspective. God doesn't want them repaired. He wants them restored. Just so you know, I just thought I'd bring some science into it because I, I love this kind of stuff. Uh, when you make a decision, you think you're making the decision with um, this part of your brain, the prefront, the, your frontal lobe. That's where decision-making is made. But it's, it's 
it's, it's taxing. And so the other part of our brain, the amygdala here with basic emotions, you also make decisions there. Those are your reactive things. And so when you make a decision, it's complex. And that's fine when you're making decisions about which car to buy, okay? It's like this one has a lot of fuel economy, but this one's faster, <laughs> you know? I, to I totally get that. And, but we can't do this when it comes to uh, what we're doing with God. So I want to show you what happens with, or what we're doing with people. I want to show you a story about how Jesus took this situation and, 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 and combined those two things, his, the part of his brain that uh, is emotional, the part of the brain of his frontal lobe, and he combined them together, and he did something beautiful that I hope when you leave here today, sometime during the week, you can do the same thing. So here we are. We're in John chapter 7, verse 54. And uh, it says this, um, then they all went home. So he was teaching, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now what Jesus does at the Mount of Olives is he reaches out to his heavenly father, he gets recharged, he gets a, a, the right perspective, he kind of puts the day aside and he goes and he meets with his heavenly father. And this is the first point I want to make to us today, that this, in order to do what I'm asking you to do this week, this is essential to be with your heavenly father, either in the morning or at the night, to disconnect, to put the devices away, to put the news away, to turn off whatever you need to turn off, and to turn on a perspective of what does my heavenly father require of me today. And that's what Jesus was doing. And so at dawn, which is cool, he wakes up early, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him as he sat down to teach them. You know, this is so great. I, I love the Bible. I love uh, all the things it enlightens me about Jesus. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a chair, so he would sit, he probably was sitting down in, uh, on the courtyard and the people were sitting down around him. And can you imagine just being able to sit down and listen to Jesus speak to you, right? To listen to him um, teach you about uh, what the heart of his heavenly father is. And so he, he does that, and then the teachers of the law, when they were, um, uh, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees and people like that, they were the people in power. They were the people, the educated people. They, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, what, what also is cool about this story is most likely Jesus was teaching in the court of women. Um, and so... Um, uh, and, and I, what I love about this is that Jesus is accessible to everybody in, the, in this case. So Jesus is teaching in the court of women. So uh, there's a you know, maximum amount of people that can come. And the Pharisees come and bring in a woman into this court. I always get emotional at this point. I don't know why. They made her stand before the group. They made her stand before the group. They take her at her most vulnerable time. The most, just, yeah, her most vulnerable time. And they put her out in front of everybody. And they say, comment below. What do you think? What do you think about this woman? 
you'd never do that. You'd, you'd never do that. These, the Pharisees right now are just like level one and level two are combined. It feels like a reward. There's no place Jesus can go with this, okay? She was caught in adultery. The Bible says in another version, in the very act, which is number one, creepy, okay? So I don't know who's prowling around, okay? And number two, it's a trap. It's a trap. They knew this was going to go on. They knew this was happening. And so they take her in her most vulnerable. She was caught in sin. And they put her right in front of everybody. We do the same thing every day. We participate in the same thing every day. When we take people, celebrities, or whoever they are, and I know they're in power, and I know they're wealthy, and I know a lot of, you know, politicians have different views than us or whatever, and we want to get them fixed, and we want to get them to, to pay, and Jesus wants them restored. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you think, Jesus? Comment below so we can comment on your comment. Give us your opinion so that we can shoot it down. That's all they care about. Think about this. Think about this. This is phenomenal to me, mind-blowing. In order to be right, they were willing to kill someone. (laughs) In order to be right, they were willing to have people throw rocks at her until she died. I mean, just say it out loud. That's what a stoning is. In order to be right, they were willing to have that person die. And I wish we were over it in the last 2,000 years. I wish we learned our lesson, but we have not learned our lesson. We rejoice when the mighty fall, when the person that we disagree with fails, when they're caught. We love, we're addicted to gotcha. We're addicted to it. Now look at their, look at their statement. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. <laughs> okay, so check this out. Just again, we, we, sometimes we read through the Bible so fast we miss this. A person was trying to trap, or a a group of people were trying to trap Jesus, and they were willing to have someone killed in order to trap Jesus. Those people have some strong beliefs, don't they? How could you be so blind to try to trap Jesus, number one? And how could you be so blind as a, a religious leader to have someone killed in order to be right? I could argue I'm that blind, I read articles and I'm happy when the person that I'm against fails. Sometimes it's even people in the church that we're happy with other people in the church, our brothers and sisters, because we have a disagreement on some theology or some other thing. And this is what I'm trying to get to us, and this is why this subject is, I'm so passionate about this subject. What better way to be different than the world, than our culture, 
than to be able to want to see people restored rather than see them repaired. We're, we're willing to put aside our beliefs, if you will, in order to just imagine, imagine the difference of bringing someone to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this person has been caught in their sin. We, can you heal them? Can you restore them? Can, 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 you, can you see them through the process? But that's not what we do. We want to be right. And the next two words are so cool. So they're, they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing them. The next two words, but Jesus, but Jesus. Can you imagine inserting that into your decision making? Into how you feel about people? I can't stand that politician. But Jesus, what's the next part of your sentence? It was funny when I was listening to this, uh, uh, this scholar uh, on Friday. He said, because um, he's trying to teach everybody how to check their brain, to check what's happening. They've done the, all these studies. And so one of the studies is when you don't like someone, like if you don't like their beliefs, Mostly, you just don't like them at all. So if I said, Hitler really loved puppies and children, you'd be like, that's a lie. I can't, I can't believe that, right? Because you don't, like, and they also said this, and you can test this at home. Yeah, not now. Um, he says, you don't even like the sound of their voice. So, so test this out. What does the sound of their voice have to do with anything? Like, they could be reading a recipe, and you're like, oh, I can't stand that. That's the, that's the system one part of your brain that's assigned to their voice something negative. And so, uh, and it's all the things you don't like. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't look at or listen to their voice or look at what their belief system is or look at their sin and value them based on that. And aren't you glad he doesn't do that? Because I can be pulled in front of all y'all in my deepest, darkest place and can be publicly shamed. All of us can. But Jesus, Jesus is different. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So I told you earlier that I love reading the Bible because it like opens your eyes to a lot of different things and allows you to use your imagination and uh, you get information you wouldn't normally get. Why in the world wouldn't John write down what he wrote? This has bothered me forever. Like, dude, it's like one other sentence. Like he wrote a verse out of Isaiah. You don't even have to quote the verse or a verse out of Jeremiah or he was playing hangman. Something just, that just tells me what he was writing. And so I've been left to my own mind and sometimes I read a little bit too much into the Bible, but I try to just picture him. He, you know, he was sitting down and he was teaching and then he stood up. He has this woman right in front of him and they ask him, uh, you know, what do you, what do you say? And so he gets back down again. I thought to myself, why would he do that? Why would he get down 
and write. And so he gets down and he writes, starts writing on the ground with his finger. Some scholars think he was praying. Some think he was stalling. Some think he was, uh, again, writing down a scripture or whatever. Uh, but, but here's what the Bible says. When they kept questioning him, they're like, hey, we asked you to weigh in on this. Weigh in on it. They kept on questioning him. <laughs> I love this. He straightened up. Like, ooh, man. If, if, I was doing the, if I was doing like the theme song or whatever, I'd be like, you know, like, you know, he's like, he's just like, he straightens up. I just pictured this awesome Jesus uh, doing that. And he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Be the first to comment on that post. To be the first to comment on that picture, to be the first to send that email or that text or the first to make that phone call where you know you're right and you're going to make sure they get fixed, they get repaired. That's what Jesus does. In that Jewish law, what was required was when there was going to be a stoning there had to be two witnesses that actually saw it, and, there, and there, they had to be, uh, um, both of the testimonies had to be identical. And then they had to be the ones to throw the first stone. They had to be in it. They had to have some, some flesh in the game. And so that's why stonings weren't that common, because you know, it's like one thing to say, hey, I saw so-and-so and this, and it's another thing like, okay, well, hit him with a rock. Like, uh, well, maybe I didn't see exactly what I thought I saw. And so Jesus is putting it back on them. Okay, okay. Are you guilty of anything? Because if you are, maybe we start questioning you. Maybe we pull you up here. And that's what he does. He says, he says be the first to throw a stone on him. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and just, I, I, I know I'm, I'm given too much liberty, but the Jesus I know, um, and I think about the scene, and I think about this woman, and I think about where are her eyes right now? Yeah, they're down, right? I mean, I'm not reading too much into it. Wouldn't yours be? Mine would be. I wouldn't look at anybody. I'd just be like, I don't know how this is going to go down. And I might actually die today because these men want me dead in order to trap Jesus. Well, if her eyes are down and her hair is probably down and it's probably soaked with tears in between those hairs, she's looking at Jesus. That's what I think. I don't know what he was writing. I don't know where he was looking. The Jesus I know, in my deepest shameful moments, is right there with me, connecting. Hey, we're going to get through this. So I believe he was looking up at her. And so those who heard this began to go away one at a time. I love this. The older ones first. So all of you who uh, don't like millennials, this is your verse, okay? So you can, you can take that and go, see, I know, they're just, no, I'm just, that was terrible. I'm just playing around. The, the oldest ones first. Why? Because the older ones, they, they, they have more sin. 
<laughs> you know? The millennials are like, well, let's see, I've only really done like five days. And the older people are like, oh boy, is he talking about my 30s? Because erase, erase, that didn't actually happen, okay? Listen to this. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Just vulnerable. No one supporting her. Like, no one's, they all left. I mean, good thing, she's not, she's not, they're not going to, there's not going to be a stoning, so that's good news. But in these small communities, everybody's going to know now. Everyone, a lot of people probably knew who she was. So Jesus straightens up again. And he asks her, woman, and don't be offended by that. that, It's not like, woman, (laughs) told you not to commit adultery. No, that has nothing to do with it. Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. You know what? When I put this on, I was sitting right here, and I put it on my right ear, and it's never on my right ear. It's always on my left ear. Like, I literally have preached like 600 sermons, and it's all been on my left ear, and it's been driving me nuts the whole time. I'm like, I can't fuss with it. It's terrible. Anyway, that was just a little extra there that you didn't <laughs> expect. So she says, no one, sir, she said. But, but that's not really true, is it? I mean, they all condemned her. But see, when Jesus enters a scene, it takes away the power of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you might say, well, those people around me are are condemning me. Those, the people at my work, the people around my block, they all condemn me. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't condemn you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now for those of you, if you if you're, have a brain, you're like, wait, did Jesus just say that she could have adultery and like, get off the hook? Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. What he said is, we're going to work through the way we work through your sin. It is wrong. He goes on and he says, now go and leave your life of sin. This is where it ends up. You end up being publicly shamed because this is what the public does when you get caught in a sin because the public, all of us, don't believe that we would ever get caught doing that sin or we would even ever do that sin. And that same Jesus to us says, go and leave your life of sin There's something more important.